My name is Evan Martin, and I am the campus pastor at our Lakewood campus. And I'd like to say hello to everybody watching at one of our campuses or live stream. Our Lakewood campus is now two months old, and I can't tell you, it is the joy of my life. Every Sunday at 10 a.m., we go over there and we hang out on the patio before and after service. And uh, there's some new people in my life that are quickly becoming great friends of mine and pushing me in the right direction and worshiping the Lord together. And so I just want to say thank you to everybody who made that possible. Everybody from different campuses, Lone Tree, Castle Rock, Highlands Ranch, uh, volunteered and gave. And we have a thriving church that's reaching people for Christ in Lakewood, Colorado. So thank you so, so much. All right, if you, take, if you take the notes that were handed out on your way in, uh, you can flip it over, and I'm going to start from the very back, actually. So uh, point number four, I'm going to read a verse out of 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 8. So it's there on your notes. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can follow along 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 8. And from Tibhath and from Kun cities of Hadadezer, David took a large amount of bronze. With it, Solomon made the bronze sea and the pillars and the vessels of bronze. We're going to take the next few minutes and get to a point where that verse, that one random verse in a book that we don't often read, is going to come alive to us. And I believe that every verse in the, in the Bible is valuable to us, and God can speak to us through it. And so we've chosen as a teaching team to take one of these verses that's kind of rare, kind of buried, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and towards the end of this message, when we get to point number four, we're going to break it apart, and hopefully it will explode with life. So join me in prayer before we start. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We come to you today with a desire to know you more, a desire to know all of you. And so, God, we just ask that you would speak to us. Take humble notes and the process of men gathering to come up with a lesson and a sermon. God, take it and send your fire upon it. God, we gather as a group of people that cross the map spiritually. God, there's people that have gathered in our services that love you and know how to speak to you and to commune with you. But God, then there's others who don't know how to connect with you. And so God, by your sovereign spirit, I just ask that you would make yourself come alive to everyone that's listening to this message, God. Have your way in us. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This is reservations. Where are you going? First off, we need in our life to determine a destination. It's easy to plan 
for a vacation, but you know momentum really swings once you click that button or talk to your spouse or talk to your family and you decide, all right, this is where we're going and this is when we're leaving. But in life, sometimes it's difficult for us to choose a destination. There's probably people listening to this message who would raise their hand and say, boy, I'm working a job that 10 years ago was just temporary and now I've been doing it for over a decade maybe or any other circumstance in life, you recognize life can speed past us without us exactly knowing where we're going. And so as we take a minute to figure out, okay, what is our destination? Where are we going? Where exactly are we headed? I'll throw some of those possibilities out to you. Possible destinations would be, I wanna have a successful business or I wanna have a successful family. I want financial freedom or I want early retirement. I want a position in ministry. I hear that quite a bit. Some people may be looking for promotion or recognition or just to simply be the best at what you do. Some people, if we really asked in the privacy of just a small group, might say, yeah, I want fame and I want fortune. But then there's something inside of each and every one of us, I believe, that wants our voice to be heard, not to stand up on a stage, not to be cast via video, but that they want their opinion to matter. They want their vote to count. And so we have destinations that span the gamut, but I think all of us have one common destination. And so I'm gonna throw this out to you guys that our common, our shared destination is this, that we want all of God. Over the last couple of weeks in our Connect, Grow, Serve class at Lakewood, we've been talking through some of the specifics of what we believe as a church and individually, and we've come up and started to say this mantra a couple of times. I don't know that I could explain all of who he is, but I want all of who he is. It's hard to stand up and defend our faith, and it's hard to stand up and explain the Trinity or another facet of what we believe, right? And sometimes we stop at those points because we think, well, I don't have it all figured out, but I don't want to wait until I have it all figured out to want that part of him that I haven't figured out yet. So let's decide right now that all of us have a shared destination, and that shared destination is that we corporately want all of who he is. See, I might not be able to explain all of him, but that shouldn't stop me from wanting all of him. I don't have to be a rancher or a butcher to enjoy a steak, right? I don't have to be a gardener to enjoy the benefits of vegetables, I don't have to own and operate a nursery in order to enjoy the smell of flowers. So sometimes we think that we can only enjoy all of who God is up to the point that we can explain it. And sometimes we have a God who's perfectly packaged and presented to us in a way that leaves a lot out. See, 
I want the God who raised Lazarus from the dead. I want the God who Mary saw and thought was so worthy as to pour a bottle of perfume on him that was worth a year's wage. I want a God who took fishermen and made them want to stop fishing for fish. I want all of God, no matter if I can explain all of who he is. Can we agree that that's a shared destination? I want all of him. I want the God that I can't explain. I want the God that is wild and holy and uncontainable, unfathomable. The God that Isaiah saw was high and lifted up. That's the God I want. I want all of who he is. So how do we get there? I think we get there by finding map, bank, map makers and mile markers. What do I mean by that? Map makers, those are mentors for me. Mile markers are something just a little bit different because I think once we start to talk about mentorship, some of us can say, oh, I've tried that. I've looked for mentors and nobody has the time. Or I've tried to mentor somebody, but it took all the time in the world and I can't do that. See, we need somebody to draw a map for us that says, this is where you're going. You want to live a godly and righteous life. You want to leave a legacy for your children or for the people that are in your life. Well, this is how you get there. See, map makers, they can draw a map for you. Mile markers, I, I like to explain it as those are people in your life that are just there for a season, Philip was that for that Ethiopian eunuch who was, who was traveling on his chariot back from Jerusalem. If you remember that, Philip was on the road and he joined that Ethiopian in his chariot and the Ethiopian was reading a passage in Isaiah and, and Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, I have no idea what this means. Who is, he ta who is this talking about? And from that passage, Philip explained that Jesus was the Christ that we had waited for for so long. See, look for people in your life who can just join you in your chariot, who you're on a direction and all of a sudden they just orient you to where you are. When you're on a road trip this summer, you pass mile markers and that's how you figure out, okay, we're getting there, we're almost there, we're on the right path and we start to count down how many more miles to our destination. Mile markers are people in your life that aren't necessarily gonna stay in your life forever but they point you in the right direction and they tell you this is the way, walk in it. Map makers are something a little bit different. Map makers take the time to draw out a map. They say, where are you going? Oh, I've been there. You're gonna love it. But on your way there, you gotta watch out for this. Here, come have a seat with me. Now look at this. You're gonna have to go around this bend and you're gonna have to watch out for this. And this is the, this is the place where you're gonna have to swing that way or that way. They draw a map and they take time in your life. I had a person like that in my life as I was growing up and into college years. His name was Charles Blair. He pastored a church in Denver for 51 years. He made more than just a ripple effect with his life. And he took me under his wing and he left me with things like a whole set of commentaries that I helped, that helped me as I prepared this message. He gave me access to what he had, and he modeled the life in front of me. One of his quotes was, the greatness of a man is determined by the cause he lives for and the price he is willing to pay to achieve it. 
that rings in the back of my mind sometimes when I'm going through a hard part of this road and this path that I've chosen to walk. And when I think wanting all of God is sometimes a little bit too difficult. Because I don't want a God that's just for devotions. I don't want a God that's just for a weekend service. I want a God always and forever, a God that speaks to me and a God that I can point and direct my life towards and press into. The greatness of a man is determined by the cause he lives for and the price he's willing to pay to achieve it. That rings clear in my mind because of the life that he modeled for me. I traveled with him across the country going to different churches and different countries even internationally. And he was well into his 80s when I followed in his footsteps and I had a hard time keeping up with him. He was so full of energy. Why? Because he was so full of God and he had purpose for his life. Elijah was that for Elisha. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 in your notes, it says this, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. That was a sign back then when a prophet would go find somebody and welcome the next one in to be another prophet alongside of him. He took his cloak. He took that which identified him. Back in those days, you didn't go to a closet and pick out which coat you were going to wear or which set of clothes you were going to wear. You probably had one or at best two. And for sure, your outer garment or your cloak is what you wore all the time. And so when somebody saw it, they knew whose it was. It probably smelled like Elijah. And Elisha's just working in his field. He's doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was faithful where he was, and Elijah found him, and he cast his cloak upon him. See, when you find a mentor, their anointing and their wisdom become accessible to you. Elisha followed Elijah, and it said he poured water on his hands. He served him until he was taken up into heaven. Paul was that for Timothy, right? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 says this, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Paul was imprisoned in Rome at the time, and he knew he didn't have a whole lot of time left, and he was begging for Timothy to come join him and encourage him and probably just pour out the rest of his life and wisdom into Timothy. But he said, when you come, bring what? The cloak, the books, and the parchment. I want to ask you, as we make this journey together, do you have access to anyone that you recognize, I have access to their cloak, which is their anointing? Do I have access to their books or their parchments, which is their wisdom? Are you borrowing books for someone, from someone? Are you engaging in conversation with somebody who is further along that journey, who's so on fire for God that it's contagious? Have you found that person? Because once you do, it'll revolutionize your life because you'll see what you are capable of when you burn and when you find that passion for God and when you say, I'm not going to settle like I've settled in the past. I want all of God even if I can't explain Him. Paul changed Timothy's life. Elijah changed 
Elisha's life. Find those map makers and find those mile markers. Don't get them confused. Don't put pressure on a mile marker. Somebody who's not supposed to be a mentor for you, they're just there in your life directing you to that point and you're, you're going to pass them, but they're going to point the way. They're not exactly doing maybe your occupation or what, you're, what you are doing, but they're just pointing you in that right direction. That's somebody that's maybe, for those of you who are younger, somebody who's older than you that can model what it is to be a great father or a great mother or a great grandfather, great grandmother. Find a map maker. Sit down. See if they'll draw out a map for you. Also, we need pace setters in our life. Those I like to call peers and teammates. You got to find some people who are on their way there. Find people that share a common goal. If we've just decided that our common goal is wanting all of God, even if we can't explain it, go and find somebody who gets into the Word and says, I want God. I want God more than I want TV. I want God more than I want to sit at Starbucks. I want God more than I want to waste my time doing this or that or the other thing. I want God. Find somebody who cancels appointments because they have an appointment with God. Find somebody like that who can be a peer or a teammate. We've got men's groups and women's Bible studies that are amazing opportunities for that. There's people that are looking for friendship. I think God put that inside of us. A little bit of loneliness. Just a little seed that says, God, I just wish I had somebody that I could share life with. My struggles, my victories. There's somebody that has the exact same desire as you. But if we have decided that our destination is wanting all of God, that's a monumental task because we live in a day and age where just going to church is totally acceptable. If we're honest, we can totally get away with showing up to church twice a month, right? And that qualifies us as being a Christian. We learn the lingo. We know what to say and where to be. We know how to appear. And so it's easy for us to be nominal Christians, to just kind of zone out and take our foot off the pedal and just go for a ride. And I'm looking, I'm looking for people that would respond and say, no, 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 no. I'm not okay with that anymore. I was okay, but now that just kind of tastes lukewarm. I don't want nominal Christianity. I don't want lazy religion. I want something that fires me up inside. I want to I open up. I want to open up this book, and I want it to become alive to me. I don't want it to just be ink on paper anymore. I don't want to just pray rote prayers. I don't want to just say the same thing that I've always said, and I don't want to just show up and leave and not be changed. I want to I light myself on fire. I want to know God in a way that I've never known God before. I want to set an example for my kids that makes it so difficult for them to walk away from their faith even for a second, Right? I want God to live so big inside of me that somebody looks and says, what in the matter is wrong with you? You're different. 
you don't put up with normal. I want somebody to look at me and say, settle down, Evan. Right? But it's easy to blend in. It's easy. But we've chosen a destination that's difficult. It's like we've joined the Tour de France. Or it's like we've joined the Olympics. Those bikers in France, they don't, they don't ride that race all by themselves. They're on teams. And they set their front wheel right behind the back wheel of their teammate. And they go along those roads and up those mountains and down those hills with teams and people take turns leading and saying, okay, I got the energy, I got the energy, now it's my turn. Olympics, it's all about teamwork. The people that win those races and hold those medals up, they're not standing on that podium all by themselves. There's people that didn't even make it to London this summer who could take ownership for some of the medals that people will hold up, right? Because it's the energy and it's the passion and it's the sweat and it's the hard work and it's the, I'm going to beat you to the pool or I'm going to beat you to the gym or I'm going to beat you to the track or I'm going to beat you to the field first thing in the morning just because we all need pushed, right? Because if our goal and our shared destination is to want all of God, I need somebody to jump on the bike and ride just in front of me. And I need him to look over his shoulder and say, come on, Evan, you can do it. Come on, Evan, you can do it. It's not much further. It's not much further. And then we're just on the top of this hill. Come on, we can do it. We can make it this day. Sure, we got to get up and do it all over again the next day, but I need somebody like that to ride right in front of me. I need somebody like that to meet me at the pool or meet me on the track and say, come on, I know we did this yesterday, but we can do it again. I know this burns, but it's so worth it. How do I do that in my life? I can't stand up here and tell you to do something that I'm not doing, and so I just want to throw out a couple of examples of how I do that and how it's changed my life. I have nine other men in my life, 10 including me, that we gather once a year. We mark off four days in our calendar and we go away to somebody's house or to a retreat center and we look at each other in the eyes and we ask each other how we're doing. We take a turn since we have a span of days. We can ask deeper questions and we can pray longer prayers and we can really truly encourage each other these are guys that i formed relationship with years ago we've done ministry together some of them are planting churches some of them are campus pastors for other ministries some some of them are worship leaders and we get together and we worship god and we pray we enjoy good food we laugh at each other we cry and we look into each other's eyes and we say, come on, you can do it. It's worth it. You can do it. Press in for the sake of your wife. Press in for the sake of your kids. Press in for the sake of those that we don't even know that might be watching us, that might see us, that might get inspired by us. And then I have here at Jubilee Fellowship Church, I have an executive team brothers and sisters that are doing this together, pastors who are praying for each other and pressing in and doing ministry 
showing up to work every day, sweating, crying, praying, laughing, doing life together. Why? Because there's people that sit in these chairs that look to us to pull the rope to say, come on, we can do better, we can do more. We want more of God's presence, more of God's spirit in this place. This church can glorify God a little bit better. And so we do life together. In the Bible, there's a great example of this. Nathan was this for David. Nathan even redirected David a couple of times. We're going to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. So here's the relationship. Nathan's a prophet. David's a king. David brings the ark back to Jerusalem, but he puts it in the tent. He has a palace built of cedar. It was probably one of the most amazing houses built up to that point. And one night, he's sitting in his house, and Nathan's over at his house, and he says, I think I... I think I may have done this wrong. See, I've got a house that's going to stand and last forever. But I've put the Ark of the Covenant, the, the object of the presence of God, it's just in a temporary tent. I think it needs a house. I think it needs a temple. And Nathan's like, man, God is with you. I encourage you to do it. Whatever's on your heart, do it. But then that night... God gave a dream to Nathan. God didn't give a dream to David. He gave it to his friend because I think it's just a picture that we're supposed to do life in the context of community. And so God speaks to Nathan, and without reading all of those verses, it basically speaks this promise that there would forever be a king on David's throne. But it wasn't for David to build the temple. It would be for his son to build the temple, right? As you, as you look at that, section of verses. You can look at it later. It talks about the promise that Jesus would be that king who sits forever on David's throne. And so David, hearing this word from Nathan, takes it, and he's so grateful, and he's so full of worship that he would be counted worthy to have somebody follow after him on his throne. And so he rejoices he also realizes the purpose that I was going to spend the rest of my days building a beautiful temple for the Lord, that's not my purpose. And so David gets redirected. And if you look in the Bible, before chapter 18 of 1 Chronicles, in my Bible, the, the heading says this, David defeats his enemies. So right here in the, in the start of chapter 18, if God hadn't spoken to Nathan, the the title for this chapter would have been David Builds the Temple. But now in our Bible, it says David defeats his enemies because what happened? David understood that his purpose was altered. And what did his purpose then become? He understood it as, if I'm not going to build the temple, if my son who follows me is going to build the temple, then it must be my job to eradicate the enemies that are still within our territory. And so, over the next several verses, 
it shows us that he goes and does just that. He goes after those enemies that had lingered in the Holy Land, and he defeats those enemies. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Point number four says, your destination is not about you. See, I think it was in that moment that David recognized something. He recognized that, boy, I was going to do this, and I was going to build the temple, and it was going to be for the glory of God, but now my purpose becomes generational. I see it longer and further than just my life. But in our life, progress always includes a process. Whatever we aim for, we have to recognize that we're going to fight battles along the way. And if our destination is wanting all of God, then we have to understand that our process of getting to that point, wanting all of God, is going to be and include a process. So David, for Solomon, said this, and this is the verse that we started with. Chapter 18, verse 8. And from Tibhath and from Kun, cities of Hadadezer, David took a large amount of bronze. With it, Solomon made the bronze sea and the pillars and the vessels of bronze. Here's the truth that I found in that little verse. That what David won in battle... Solomon was able to use in worship. See, wanting all of God is not going to be easy because when we light ourselves on fire, when we point at the face of God and start walking towards Him and we say, God, I'm coming after you, then there's going to be so many distractions and speed bumps on our path because the devil and all of his forces don't want that. He's totally okay with a mediocre, lukewarm Christian. He's totally okay with somebody who sits in a chair one or two weeks a month and calls themselves a Christian but never digs into the Word. But the minute you dig into this Word and the minute that you start engaging in worship and the minute that you sign up for a Bible study and the minute that you start to glue yourself into Christian community where you find a brother or a sister in Christ, where you find a life-giving small group that's going to push you, you better believe there's going to be distractions that come against you and all of a sudden you're going to realize, boy, this isn't easy. This is kind of a fight. Evan stood up there on stage and made it seem so simple. But you have to understand this, that what David won in battle, Solomon was able to use in worship. Because what happens here, and it's referenced many other times in Scripture, that David then commissioned Solomon to build the temple. And he said, I wasn't able to do this, but now I want you to do this. God has commissioned for you to build him a place of worship. God has commissioned you to lead others into right relationship. Isn't that what worship is? It's the entering into right relationship with Jesus and giving him a proper response. And so, as David commissioned Solomon this isn't in your notes, but 1 Chronicles twenty two fourteen says this, David speaking, with great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord 
100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing. For there is so much of it, timber and stone too, I have provided. To these you must add. And as David is commissioning his son, probably at the end of David's life, he's looking back and he's saying, listen, you're going to build this temple, and I've provided gold. I've provided silver, and I've provided bronze. Three times in the Bible it talks about that bronze, and it says that it was too much to even measure. Chronicles is full of details. Numbers is full of details. First and second Kings, full of details. They were looking for specifics. They weighed the gold. It was 750,000 pounds of gold. 7.5 million pounds of silver. And then it says of the bronze, the bronze that David accumulated in that one battle and probably several others, it says there was so much bronze. Sorry, I can't measure this. The scribe writing it down is like, I need you to measure this. I need to put this in the annals of history. And these guys are laughing at the scribe like, you want to weigh this? You can weigh this. I'm not going to weigh it. There's so much of it. And with that bronze, Solomon built the bronze sea, which is a basin. It was huge, huge. And then he built the pillars of the temple. They were so tall. That building was the tallest building in, the, in that known area at that time. And David provided that for worship. So what battle, let me ask you, are you engaged in right now? That if you suffer through it in a godly way and find victory in it, that you could stand on the other side of that battle. Maybe it's unemployment. Maybe it's dissatisfaction. I don't know what it is. Fill in that blank of, if I could just make it through this, a difficult relationship, a difficult season in life, a difficult transition relationally, that battle, if we can fight that battle for the glory of God, then we stand on the other side victorious, pointing back towards God and praising Him for the victory. All the people in our life get to use that which we just won in battle. It'll help them worship God. See, if David didn't go out and eradicate his enemies, Solomon would have had to do that. But it wasn't Solomon's battle to fight. God said of Solomon that he would be a man of rest. I think as we decide that we want all of who God is, then we're saying, I'm going to put away those things in my life that don't have anything to do with God. I'm going to confront that secret sin. I'm going to confront that wrong relationship. I'm going to confront that bad habit, and I'm going to slay it. I'm going to cast it aside. Why? Maybe not even for me, but I'm going to do it so that my kids don't have to worry about that, so it doesn't become a stumbling block for them, so that the further along I walk, in pursuing the God who raised Lazarus, 
in pursuing the God who took fishermen and made them not want to fish for fish anymore, in pursuing passion for my Lord and Savior, that as I point myself in that direction, the victories that I win, my kids can use to greater glorify our God. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. Jesus, we want all of who you are. God, we are tired of settling for being lukewarm. We're tired of just putting up with the average. God, light us on fire. Cast your cloak upon us, God. Send Elijah's and Paul's into our life. Help us, God, to seek you and to find you. Help us to pursue you with all of our heart. Light us on fire, God. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.